trying to come up with a children's sermon that ties in with the story of blind Bartimaeus is not easy. <laughs> I don't know that they got all that they could have out of that, but I hope that, uh, that somehow the Lord will instill in them a sense that they can trust him no matter what comes their way. Let's, let's read, let's, I think that's going to be the best way to start this. Let's read, I'm going to be reading out of Mark chapter 10. And it's verses 46 to 52. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. I'm reading from the New International Version. Then Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me! And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up! On your feet, he's calling you! And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now I want to give us a little bit of Bible study here so we can understand the context of what's going on. First of all, this story is found in the synoptic gospels. What that means is the word synoptic means from the same point of view, from the same look. And the three gospels that are written from the same point of view are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you follow them, there's a skeleton, if you will, that was used to create these stories, I mean, these these gospels. And um, that's why they follow pretty much the same path. John, totally different perspective, totally different point of view, totally different attempt. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were using the same path of telling the story, but they were telling it to three different audiences. And so there's differences between the three stories because of that. But they use basically the same format or the same structure. Now, if you look at the Matthew account, and you don't need to turn there, but just for your sake, for notes, it's found in Matthew chapter 20. In the Matthew account, it says that there were two blind men. In the Luke account, it says there was one blind man. And obviously in Mark that we just read, there's one blind man. There is another discrepancy that scholars have troubled themselves for years and years and years over, and that's that uh, here it says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving the city, Another one of the Gospels says as Jesus and his disciples were leaving the city, and another one says as they were entering the city. I think it was the Luke one that says as they were entering the city. And scholars are like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this discrepancy. Oh, and it's like, eh, what's the big deal, folks? 
I mean, reality, there was one argument that they said, well, yeah, but in the Old Testament times, Jericho was located here, and there was a settlement that was still active a little bit. And then by the time of the New Testament, there was a newer settlement that was under Roman occupation, and that it, it's possible that they had gone to the older part of the city, and now where they were leaving that and heading to the newer part of it. Who cares? Really and truly, who cares? And that's what I want to tell you. As you're studying this for yourself, don't get wrapped up on the stuff that the enemy tries to distract you with. Okay, it's not, it's, it, it's the same as if Ruth told the story and then Dana told the story and then Mary told the story and then Renee told the story. If each of them came in and told you the same story, all four of them went to lunch last week and all four of them came back to report what they, what they enjoyed during that lunchtime, but I had them each come in separately while the other three were sitting in a private space with headphones on so they couldn't hear, you'd hear four different stories. And that's exactly what this is. They're telling the same event from their perspective, from their recollection, or from what they gathered from people. Because Luke wasn't present for these things. Luke was actually an investigative reporter. He went out and interviewed all of the people who were eyewitnesses, and then he put together his story. So, you know, who cares if they were coming into the city, going out of the city? Was there two people? Was there one? It, the storyline is this. Jesus healed somebody from blindness. Somebody who was born blind, I believe. No, no, no. No, he wasn't. This one wasn't born blind. This, uh, Bartimaeus was uh, just simply, we just know him as a blind man. And the point is, is that, that Jesus healed him. Now, there are some points to this story that I want us to look at this morning. And then I'm going to wrap it up with just a simple one, two, one, one point question that we're going to deal with in our community groups this week. It says, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was walking by, he began to shout. Why would a person respond that way? He was being rebuked, it says. He was being told to shut up, it says. Stop bothering him. It says, and in the face of that conflict, Bartimaeus, it says in verse 48, even though many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, all the more he shouted, Son of David, have mercy on me. Why? I alluded to it slightly in our prayer time. The Holy Spirit is with all of us. When Jesus was on the earth, being a human being, he could only be one place at one time. What is the likelihood that Bartimaeus was ever going to ever see Jesus again? And this was Bartimaeus' only chance to possibly get healed and he desperately wanted it. And so he screamed at the top of his lungs, Don't go away! Please help me! Please! But it wasn't just simply me, me, me. You didn't see him saying, Come over here! Look at me! He was screaming out, Son of David! There was an acknowledgement there. You are the Messiah! I believe it! You are our hope. I believe it. And I'm pleading with you, O anointed one, have mercy.
mercy on me. You are my only hope. Even in the face of rebuke, he's not letting up. He's continuing to press and press and press and say, I will not be dissuaded. This is my only chance. This is my only hope. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we're not told why Jesus stopped. We don't know if he wasn't hearing him because of the clamor of the crowd, then all of a sudden he heard him, or, or what the deal was. But we just know, verse 49, it says, Jesus literally stopped in his tracks, turned to his disciples and said, tell him to come here. And then the crowd's like, oh, the master wants to talk to you now. I mean, everything's good. You know, the people who were rebuking him and calling him names and telling him to shut up, he's a bother. Now it's all good because Jesus said, come on. And so all the little yes men are saying, come, 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 come. The master wants to talk to you. Come on, come on. And Bartimaeus gets up and he just, you know, casually like, oh, okay, well, help me. Just excuse me. I got to get my money put away for a second. Let me get the cup stored away. Oh my goodness. I got to fold my cloak up. No, that's not what we see happening. It says, throwing his cloak aside. Now think about this, okay? I'm not going to get on the floor to give you the image, but think about this. There's a blind beggar. Now, have you ever seen people standing in the street playing their guitar or their violin or whatever musical instrument and they have their case open? on the ground before them, so people can toss coins and bills into that? Well, Bartimaeus is doing something very similar to that. He's sitting there begging with his cloak laid over his lap. Now, a cloak, for those of you who aren't familiar, that was his outer garment to keep him warm. It was his blanket when he was asleep at night. It was what protected him from the rain. It was a very valuable thing for this blind beggar who didn't own or have anything. It was probably tattered, but it was all he had. And he used it so that people could toss coins into his blanket or his, his cloak. And, and then he would gather that up at the end of the day and put his money into his little pouch if he had one. And it says here, he's calling you, come on, come on. And so literally Bartimaeus throws the cloak aside, which means what? All of the coins went scattering everywhere. All of his day's work, his livelihood, tossed to the side. Why? Because my only hope, the only chance I have of ever getting that which I so desperately desire is right before me and he's called me. Who cares about the rest? And he comes up to Jesus. And the amazing thing is Jesus says to him, so what do you want? Because see, he was saying, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And Jesus is now, I honestly believe Jesus, being God, already knew what Bartimaeus wanted. But he asks him, what do you want? What do you want from me? Specifically, what it says in the NIV version is, what do you want me to do for you? It's a very specific, pointed question. 
What do you want me to do for you? Jesus, Rabbi, anointed one of God, our Messiah, I believe with all of my heart that you have the power to do this. I want to see. Please, I want to see. And Jesus looks at her and smiles. It's done. Your faith has healed you. Now, I hate the phrase because so many people get wrapped up around this. Your faith has healed you. Well, if I had enough faith, I'd be healed. That's not what this is saying. Because you believe, because you trusted, because you had faith, you've cried out to the only source of help, the only one who could make it real in your life. Your faith brought about the healing. Your faith didn't heal you. Your faith brought about the opportunity for me to move in your life. You'll see in other instances in the Gospels where Jesus is doing healing and he says, let it be done unto you as you believe, or in accordance with your faith. Jesus is the one with the power. Jesus is the one doing the healing. Jesus acts on other person's faith. Look at the centurion who wanted his servant healed. Look at the woman from Syrophoenicia who said, even the dogs get to eat of the crumbs that fall off the children's table. And Jesus says to her, never have I found in all of Israel such great faith. Let it be done unto you. Jesus responds to our faith when, he is, when we are calling out to him. It is not a casual thing that Bartimaeus is involved with here. There's desperation in this situation. I am in a hopeless state. My only chance has intersected with my life. And if I don't reach out now, I may never ever find the opportunity again to tap into the only source that can provide and bring healing to my life. So I'm screaming for all I'm worth to get his attention. And when I have his attention, I throw all caution to the wind and run to him. Now, I told you that this story is in three of the four Gospels. We believe that the scriptures are inspired by God. We believe that God said to the author, I want you to tell about the time when, and that the author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, wrote down what God put in their heart. He didn't dictate exactly word for word, because if he had, we would have had the same story in all four Gospels. He said, from your perspective, you remember when you were there, we'll tell about that. It's called plenary inspiration. Full inspiration. In other words, God inspired it and you use your own words to tell the story. What we see here is God inspired three of the four writers to tell this story. Why? Why was it important for Christians 2,000 years later to be able to read this story and to discuss it and to chew on it and to find out what it is that God has for us. Because this, 
The book of Hebrews, am I right? Or is it Timothy? I can't remember now. It says that the scriptures are living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, even down to the dividing of marrow from bone, soul from spirit. It applies to our life today. You've experienced it, I'm sure, where you've been reading the word of God and all of a sudden something just jumps off the page at you and it's like God spoke those words directly to you. So the question that I have for us this morning as we're looking at blind Bartimaeus and his story, which was told three out of four times in the four opportunities that God took to speak to his people, what is the truth that's here for us? Why is it important that you look at this story? Why did God put it on my heart to bring it up to you? I've read this story lots of times. I've preached on this before. But why is it important for us to focus on this at this point? And there's a few things that I've already said, but I just want to restate them real quick. And I'm going to just close with this last question and we'll be done. Are you aware when God's presence is present? That's a hard sentence, but let me say it again. In your day-to-day living as a Christian, are you able to tell when God is present? Are you able to sense when he is speaking to you? If you go to 1 Kings chapter 19, the story of Elijah, Elijah's in the cave, it says that there was a great and mighty wind, an earthquake, and a fire. And in each case, it says, but God's presence was not in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire. But then, Elijah came out to the mouth of the cave, and there was a whispering. And it said, God was the one whispering to Elijah. And I like to think, because I love that story, I like to think God used those other three things because Elijah just wasn't paying attention. And he needed to get his attention. Elijah was so focused on the pain he was involved with at that point in his life. So worried about his own life and so worried about the fact that everything was falling apart around him and so worried about, and he just, he was in a pity party and God had to literally use an earthquake, a great wind and a fire to go, hello, Uh, right here. Any problem? You want to talk to me about it? Hello. Elijah wasn't getting it. And then finally Elijah's like, What's going on out there? He comes out to the edge of the, t- the, the cave and goes, Hello? Elijah. Lord. Duh. Prophet of mine. One who's supposed to hear me and be able to use my words to proclaim to the people. Want to get back in communication with me? And what I see in Bartimaeus' story is exactly the same thing, except Bartimaeus was aware of his presence. He couldn't see him. Couldn't see him. He didn't know what was going on, but he's like, he asked the question, what's, what's, what's all the noise about? What's, what's happening? And somebody confirmed what he thought was happening. It's the Lord. It's the anointed one. It's the Messiah. Oh, he's here! <laughs> screaming, screaming, screaming. No, don't walk away. Don't leave me. He was aware. He was listening. He was asking questions. 
to discern, to, to, to get a better understanding of what was happening around him. And indeed, is God trying to get some, do, is God available to me at this time? Is God speaking to me? And my question to us is, how do you do that? In your own life, how do you know when God is present? Because we say God is omnipresent, which means he's always with us at all times. And his Holy Spirit is with us. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives with us. Jesus in my heart. But we go around walking around and we're oblivious most of the time to the presence of God in our life. Because we get so distracted with all of the other things that have to be done. So the question for us is, in Bartimaeus' story, what do you do? How do you make sure? How do you be intentional? To be aware of his presence when he is manifesting himself, trying to get your attention, to focus, to hear what he has to say to you. Number two, Bartimaeus did not let anyone or anything dissuade him from getting a hold of God. Shut up. Stop it. You're embarrassing us. You're being a nuisance. Leave us alone. Stop it. He has better things to do than to talk to you. Jesus! Nothing was going to keep him from the Savior. Nothing. Now, put yourself in that situation. Is that you? See, I would venture to say, because I know in my own life it's true, There's a, a casual, lackadaisical, almost callous attitude. I am the son of the living God. I have Jesus in my heart. I've been a Christian for 36 years. Really? Are you really living? And he walks with me. And he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry together in each other's presence, none other has ever known. Or do you allow the busyness of your world to keep you from being aware of his presence for a full 24 hours? How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you more than once this week experience the presence of the Almighty. I would say if you didn't, it's because you didn't try. Because he's always there. And he always wants to talk. And he always wants to communicate with his children. And then the last thing, well, not the last, two things. We talked about it already. What in your world is a barrier, a block, that you have got to throw aside in order to experience the presence of the Almighty in your life? Is there something... Is it just your normal daily activity and you're so busy and you've got so much going on and you just don't have time to take the time? Is it that you're so worried and focused on 
my children are not doing well in school, or my finances are horrible, or my father, or my mother, or my relationship, whatever it might be that's keeping you so focused on this that you can't see the fact that Jesus is standing right there saying, I'm right here. Because, you see, he's a gentleman, if you haven't already figured that out. He does not force himself on us. He woos us. He draws us. He doesn't grab us and say, come with me. Most of the time. Sometimes. But not most of the time. Most of the time, he waits for you to acknowledge his presence. For you to welcome him. And then finally, when Jesus says to you, Marlene, what do you want me to do for you? Isaac, what do you want me to do for you? Cora, what do you want me to do for you? Do you have an answer? It's Christmas time, almost. I was in the store yesterday. I wasn't going to go, but I had no choice. I had to go into town for something. I was in like two or three different stores, and I swear every single store had the same child. I want that, 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 I want that. Give it to me for Christmas. Santa Claus is going to bring it to me. I want that, I want that, I want that. Through the entire stinking store. Every child putting together an on-the-spot list for mom and dad. I used to work in a toy store back at Christmas time many, many, many years ago. We had items that were specifically made and marketed for instant gratification. We had something called the giggle stick. It was a plastic tube that had an insert. And you would turn it upside down and it would go... And you'd turn it back up and it would go... And you'd turn it over and it'd go... And you'd turn it back over and children would pick that up and go, I want, I want, I want, I have to have it. Oh, mommy, 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 please, please, please. And mommy would plop down the $2.99 for the giggle stick. And by the time they got to the car, the kid was tired of it. Because it didn't do anything. <laughs> but we marketed that kind of junk. If the child was wise, they're not. If they were wise, they would begin in June, putting together a cogent list of all of the things that they would love for their Santa to bring to them. And they would have reasons behind that and why it's an appropriate gift and how it would be prosperous and pur purposeful in their life if they were to receive this gift. And so when the time came for the Santa letter to be sent, it would be already prepared in triplicate and just mom and dad add it to the rest of the family's stuff because I already got my list ready. Now bring this into your prayer life. Oh God, oh God, oh God. 
My world is, oh God, oh God. But do you really get to the, the meat of what you really, 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 really want? Because did you know in the book of Psalms it says, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. But if you don't know what they are, when he asks, what would you have me do for you? He responds to us. He doesn't just pour on us most of the time. He says, what would you have me do for you? If Bartimaeus had said, I want to have a good income this year. Okay. Ignoring the fact that he needed the healing for blindness. He was just focused on the fact that he needed his money for this year. Jesus would have went, sure, I can do that. But what would he have missed out on? A lifetime of blessing, a lifetime of productivity, a lifetime of being in the family of God. Because if you read further, Bartimaeus joins Jesus' followers. And I can imagine going down the road that he's probably a very productive citizen from that point on. If God had intersected my life in that way, I guarantee you I wouldn't fail him in the future. So what I encourage you to do in the coming days as you're preparing for your community groups, or if you're not in a community group, just do this for yourself. Jesus, if you were to really come into my presence right now and say anything, anything at all, the sky's the limit, what do you want me to do for you? just say and I think that's a good place to stop let's pray Jesus thank you that this story was written and thank you for this reminder that you love us desperately be with us this week and help us God to learn to be present with you Casting aside all the barriers and all of the distractions and just being in your presence. And Father, help us to be intentional about thinking about what it really is. What is the desire of my heart? So that when you ask, I can ask and you can give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.